This episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Eldorado Gaming. Eldorado Gaming is your site for gifts and gaming accessories like dice, playmats, and other items to bling out your games. Use the promo code META for 10% off your order. Find us on YouTube at Eldorado Gaming TX or our home site at eldoradogaming.com. Here at My Mythical Meta, we talk about gaming with friends and strangers, resolving conflicts, and keeping game nights fun, interesting, and recurring. Our game of choice is Magic the Gathering, but our hope is that what we share is relevant for board gamers, RPG groups, video gamers, and maybe even your poker night. I'm Travis, and with my brother Benjamin and my friends Derek and Randy, we've been playing Magic together since 2014. The secret to a healthy meta is not in the game you play, it's being good friends. Subscribe to My Mythical Meta, presented by Eldorado Gaming, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to My Mythical Meta. My name is Travis, and I'm joined today by the entire Mythical crew. I've got Benjamin. Hello. I've got Derek. Hey. And I've got Randy here with me. Howdy. The entire crew is here today, and we are so glad to be back recouping after GalaxyCon. All four of us were able to make it out to GalaxyCon in Austin this past weekend, September 1st through 3rd. I had a great time. How about you guys? Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, It was pretty fun. I had a good time. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. It's often, but fun. Oh, man. That Monday, that Labor Day off, I just basically didn't move. My feet just hurt so, so bad the whole time. I think I played Baldur's Gate all day. I do not remember the day at all. <laughs> just, a, just a blackout day of just killing guys. Truly. Yeah. It was a, such a fun weekend, though. It was amazing. The celebrity floor mm-hmm. was absolutely stacked, packed all the time. Yeah, absolutely. I know sometimes at sometimes in, in Houston and in Comic Palooza, the celebrity floor is sometimes dead. Like, there's maybe two or three or four celebs at any one time. Here at GalaxyCon, it was always packed. Yeah. And it was really funny. Uh, Saturday morning, I don't I don't remember where you were, but every time they introduced Ric Flair, everybody would go, Woo! <laughs> <That's> <laughs> awesome. they, Who they, is they, Ric Flair? He's a wrestler. Oh, come on. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah, he's Sorry. a wrestler. And that's his thing. He would come into the into whatever arena and start going, Woo! And then they it would... It would be all over the whatever arena people would howl back. And so every oh, time they funny. said, if you're in line for Ric Flair, everybody would go, woo! Woo! <laughs> that sounds really cool. That sounds yeah. cool to send you a link. Yeah, it was... Did Did any of you guys do any celebrities or any get any autographs? I didn't, but my wife... Well, I mean, y'all were there for that, but I'll explain for the viewer. We uh, were walking around, and then my wife noticed that the... Uh, was it Boy Meets World? Right. Yeah. That whole crew was there, and she was very starstruck. Huh. That's oh, awesome. yeah. Except she, for Ben Savage or Fred she Savage. Like, she, like, couldn't speak when she saw them. True fangirl. Yeah, total fangirl out. Randy, tell us about some of the uh, voice actors you got. And tell everybody about your, your All Might statue. So, the one that I personally got for myself was Brian Drummond. I never really know how to say his last name. But he is the OG voice of Vegeta from the ocean dub of Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, I got, I got him to sign a book that I have probably about 20 signatures in at wow. this point. And then I got, I want to say, seven more signatures 
or an All Might Funko Pop. It's like a large oversized one. And that one's my girlfriend's and she's at 23 signatures of the cast. Every time I see that, that, I'm just amazed at how this box is just absolutely covered in signatures. Yeah, it's from it's pretty nuts to look at. My Hero Academia. Yeah, it's. I think we got pretty much all of the main cast at this point. You know, at least most of like, you know, Class One A mm-hmm. and teachers, and I would say key villains. I think we're missing like Gentle Criminal. You're and, not missing out on him. <laughs> uh, I think we're missing all for one. Mm. Oh man, yeah, that's a that's a main bad guy. That's the main bad guy. I don't think he does a lot of cons though. Is yeah. the issue? That's how I'd be if I was famous. Was like, oh, yeah. I want to see the nerds. plebeians want to see me. I don't want to get but, money know, from touching. People. We got a lot of the we got a lot of the heroes <laughs> overhaul because that was such a great season. That was a good season. That one was fun. Yeah. So it's been, it's been the it's a pretty cool thing she's got. It's definitely our most valuable pop at this point, but. Probably it's literally not the their most, most valuable, valuable possession. No, no, it's not. Some, you know, Nikki's into you know the dolls and stuff like that, like Barbies and those things are like a doll worth four or five thousand dollars. Several of them in there. Randy is amazed at Nikki's collection the way our wives and girlfriends are amazed at our magic collection. Mm, I don't know. if yeah. Kristen's amazed by my collection. <laughs> Derek, come on. More like shocked by. I'm by just the, being real. The guys. value of it. The value of it. Like how much it's worth. Yeah, I keep telling her if I die, my for God's sakes, please sell all my cards. It'll pay oh, see, for my funeral. Nikki's the opposite. She's like, you don't, you don't sell them. You keep them. I'm like, no, I'm going to sell them, but it will be an <laughs> issue because I'm probably going to die first because I'm older and a male. So, I, I at least warn Kristen like, if I die, don't just sell them at a garage sale. Yeah, get, oh, yeah. get me I mean, to help. You need to get them appraised. Don't get ripped off. Do not get ripped off from all the money that's in these cards. You're supposed to sell her. They're uh, not worth anything. Let Benjamin buy them for 50 bucks. It's fine. I even told her, don't let them just tell you it's worth nothing. <laughs> you can't trust them. Yeah, do not trust them with how much this, how much we've spent on all this stuff. Dearest sister-in-law, these cards are worthless. Magic jumped a shark. I'll buy them for sentimental value. That Locust God invocation, I guess take it off your hands. I mean, you could see how it looks. You know, it's all gray and golden and stuff. No one likes that. <laughs> see, you can see how it's so hard to read. Nobody's going to pay money for this. I just checked. It's $100 right now. Oh, my wow. goodness. Yeah, and we're just sitting on tons of cards like that. Yeah. Mm. I know I still have OG Ugin. Yeah. Just oh, just sitting around. The one from Fate Reforged? The the mm-hmm. the alternate art one? I don't think it was the alternate art one. Oh, okay. Did they do an alternate art one back yeah. in Fate Reforged? You know, it switched from Cons of Tarkir to Dragons of Tarkir. Right. And and then they had a a an alternate timeline Ugin that was only in a few packs. You know, it looks like a normal card. It's you might not even notice if you weren't looking for it. But it's worth way, way, way more than the than the re- regular printing. Oh, huh. I mean, yeah, that's definitely the one I have, yeah. <laughs> I did get one autograph over the weekend. I got the autograph for Brad Swale, who is the voice actor for Light Yagami in Death Note. Ooh. But I love him from all of his Gundam stuff. He has been a voice actor in tons of different Gundam anime. He was Katra in Gundam Wing. That was his first one. And then they called him in to be uh, Amaro Ray in Mobile Suit Gundam, original Mobile Suit Gundam. 
Uh, and the picture that I got was actually one that he painted himself of Katra and Gundam Sandrock. So I'm pretty satisfied. I'm really glad I was able to find him. That's good. All right, let's talk some more about GalaxyCon. We want to let you guys in the audience know what our best sellers were. You know, if you have spent this time wondering, you know, what Eldorado Gaming is all about, what we what we provide, what cool products we have, these were some of the best sellers from the con. First, our oversized D20s. We call them the Moonstone D20s. Basically, they are metal with stripes of resin going through all the numbers. We also sold a lot of Temple Guardians. I really like the blocky Art Deco feel of this set of dice. They're thick, heavy. Whenever we're talking to people and we ask them what characters they're playing in Dungeons & Dragons, I love hearing the people who say they're playing a dwarf. Because these look like, you know, those caves in Dragon Age or Lord of the Rings with that kind of Art Deco feel. And then we also sold a bunch of Magic the Gathering wooden counters. We have a set of Magic the Gathering counters that not only includes your standard plus one, plus one, minus one, minus one counters, but it also contains loyalty, poison, as well as all of the Ikoria keyword counters. These have been really great for our games. Benjamin brings his set each time we play, and it is so nice to have those keyword counters rather than grabbing a sheet of paper and writing the word flying on it or putting a die on something and not remembering what it's for. These Magic the Gathering wooden counters are really great, so I recommend you check them out. Obviously, I want to give a special thanks to everybody who came out for the convention. Austin, you guys were awesome. It was such a great pleasure to hang out there. Everybody was super, super nice. Anything you guys want to say to the to the people of Austin? It was real. I had more fun there than I did in Houston. Hot take. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hot take alert. I, I had a really great time. Everybody was yeah, just same. super nice. Lots of people came by just to chat about their characters. I had several people who, after chatting with them, they said, uh, you know, I don't really play D&D, but I, I like dice anyway, and I had such a great time talking to you, so I'll pick up one of, I'll pick up one of these, or, or, and they picked up something, so that was a ton of fun. I also want to welcome any new listeners to the pod who found us from GalaxyCon. Welcome, you are tuning in to episode 8 now. And I hope that we can still provide some good insight and helpful information to help you come up with a healthy meta. Anybody want to add anything for our GalaxyCon debrief? No, it was um, fun. It was just a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun seeing everyone and talking to you know everyone that was there. I hope we get to do it again next year. Yeah, yeah. I had a really great time. And hopefully we can get out there again next year. That was a really great con. We hung out with a lot of great artists. You know, our, our, neighbor, our neighbor vendors. Everybody was really cool. Yeah, everyone was super nice. So. so, we hope that you new listeners can find some good information about maintaining a healthy meta and getting an active game group going. And that is today's topic. What is a good meta? And what are some traits of a healthy gaming group? Now, just to front load, this episode, we are going to reward ourselves for a weekend of hard work and we are going to nerd out and talk about Magic the Gathering. 
We're going to talk a lot about our specific meta, and we're going to talk about the decks and the games and the styles we play in Magic the Gathering. We will still attempt throughout the episode to provide examples from other games, but this is going to be a Magic episode. So you Magic players, stick around. Everybody else, you stick around too. Especially if you're in the video version, maybe you'll see some artwork or, you're, or you'll see a card or hear something that interests you and wants to, get you, uh, wants to get you into the game. So we have defined a meta before. We did this back in episode three. A meta is the environment that surrounds a game. Benjamin, start us off here. Tell us a little bit about what a meta is. A meta is like the game around the game. You, you mentioned the environment around a game. Uh, when people talk about meta gaming, they're often talking about going into a gaming situation knowing the common strategies and maybe tweaking their their own strategies or their their deck or their army or whatever they're coming to the game with in preparation for for the common strategies that they expect to be there. In group settings and group dynamics, you might often talk about meta gaming in the sense of, "Oh, I know those two people are dating, so they're unlikely to be aggressive towards each other they're they're much more likely to want to want to win together and so maybe i should <laughs> be aware of Cowards. different dynamics going on there or i happen to know that that person has a crush on that other person and they might play kingmaker those are common ones from college that i remember <laughs> some other uh, metagaming issues uh you might t talk about hey i know that that particular area has has more money than where I'm used to play, so so they might have more expensive cards or or things like that. Just whatever considerations you when you go into the game and you sit down to play and you're not just thinking about the rules and strategy, but also thinking maybe a step or two steps outside of the game to think about how you're gonna play. The first time I ever heard the phrase or the word metagaming, I was in middle school playing Dungeons and Dragons, and I had just bought my own monster manual, and then the DM would say, you know, he would come up with a monster. There'd be a monster we'd have to fight. And I would say, oh, I know that monster. I know that it has these weaknesses. And then the DM would have to say, you know, don't metagame. Your character might not know that weakness, even though you in real life do. Yeah. So that's kind of what a meta is, using whatever outside information you have in order to give yourself an advantage in the game even if it's not information about the game itself. That might be your first time you've heard the word metagaming, but it wasn't your first experience with metagaming. Uh, oh, I know, no, probably not at all. No, because I, I know two uh, examples, at least involving me, of metagaming. One is when Will told you not to trade with me because <laughs> I was your brother and I always won, that was metagaming. Yeah. And two... That was Will taking advantage of our relationship, our rivalry, in order to give himself an advantage. Right, in Monopoly, yeah. yeah. And then probably another example of metagaming that you probably remember is, if you remember my damage swap deck in Pokemon, uh, where I would use oh, yeah. Alakazam and a bunch of high HP Pokemon in order to, to absorb attacks, and then I made... The decision to put Mr. Mime in there, and if That's you right. if you remember Mr. Mime, for those listening, he had a a Pokemon power that said if if an attack would do more than twenty damage to it, you prevent that damage, and so that meant the most an attack could ever do to Mr. Mime is twenty damage, which means you couldn't knock him out in one hit. 
And so the reason I created that deck and that and and specifically put that Pokemon in there was because a friend of ours from down the street named Dallas. That's right. His Blastoise deck. Yes, that had I think it was Water Gun, where he could basically drop a whole bunch of water energy onto his Pokemon and start hitting for. 70 80 90 damage really quickly and so and back then in pokemon that was a lot right yeah i know it's not a lot now (laughs) that game has has power crept a ton where 80 90 is maybe half of pokemon's hp yeah but back then that was that was a ton yeah back then the highest a pokemon ever got was 120 hp and that was chancy the big you know the biggest one possible and charizard and Charizard, yeah. And so if you were able to do that much damage, especially if you were doing it quickly before somebody could could play their big Pokemon, then you were able to sweep their board real quick while they were still getting set up. And so I made the metagame decision to put Mr. Mime in there so that he was stuck. Oh, I've got this giant Gyarados blasting you with, okay, 20 damage or nothing. What what you going to do here? <laughs> and, um, yep. and, and in fact, that would make that deck... Uh, almost useless because it turned through so fast that he would he would end up decking himself. And so that's a, a, a an early example of metagaming where your card choices and your strategy are determined by what the people around you are doing instead of just playing the game and following the rules. For our group, our metagaming has gone even beyond that. We're not just metagaming to win. We're also metagaming to have fun. So... Let's talk about the qualities of a good meta. These are some things that your friend group should take efforts to including and to incorporating so that you've gotten the interpersonal matters out of the way. If you can get these qualities down, then you're going to open the way for really great competition and strong rivalries like we've talked about before. First, of course, is a friendly environment. Next, make sure that the people in your group have equal skill or a good learning environment where people who aren't as skilled in the game feel like they can learn. Benjamin, can you talk a little bit about a growth mindset? Just right before I do that, I want to just make sure that that our listeners are on the same page as us. You know, I think we've said this over and over, but I don't think that we can have a competitive environment until people have co- have gotten close to our skill level, right? And right. and so a growth mindset is basically saying maybe I'm not as good as you yet, but I can get there if, you know, if we take the steps, maybe maybe you need to show me a few things. Maybe I need to practice more, maybe I need to do it, but knowing that or, or truly believing that I can get to that to that place that I want to be and I just have to keep at it until I get there. A lot of people when they step into a, a game or or any situation in life will often say, "Hey, I don't, you know, I'm not good at this." And they and they'll say it that way, "I'm just not good at this." And a growth mindset says, "I'm not good at it yet, but I can be and I will be and I want to be." Uh, I think that's a a common situation and in fact, I think one we're going to get to later where there's this feeling of I'm not good at this. And if, the, and if the people in your friend group and your meta are unequal skill, some people will, even if they had a, a growth mindset, if, they, if the meta is not treating it that way, if, they're, if they label Randy the bad magic player and don't encourage him and don't teach him and don't give him a chance to grow, then he'll always be the bad magic player. 
Whereas in a friendly environment where people are constantly teaching, are offering a, a chance to do takebacks and things like that, you know, handicaps that allow the, the skill to be equal while he's learning, then eventually mm-hmm. he gets really good and we're like, man, that, that deck's good. And suddenly he's a boogeyman and, and we're worried about things he's doing and, and he's a good magic player because <laughs> he was allowed to grow, right? So it's th- those sorts I re- of... I remember when... Randy had had a really good game with his Brago deck. This was in like version one or two of his Brago deck. <laughs> and we 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 all wanted to see what all of the cards were. And we counted and it only had 27 lands in it. <laughs> I said, oh my god, you had a pretty decent game. But it could have been a lot better if you had hit your lands a lot more often and increased your land count. I don't know, maybe adding... Ten lands. <laughs> but then that's ten less cards that could have done cool things. That's ten less fun cards. Yeah, yeah but for... but I remember that uh, experience. Yeah. And now Randy's Brago deck has a couple of infinite combos in it. Uh, or not, excuse me, not infinite, but some instant win. Randy, what is it? Approach to the Second Sun. Approach to the Second Sun. And, and uh, so... so the thing is, you want to get Archaeomancer, I believe it is, uh-huh. because he will search for Tunnel Vision, and then I bounce... It's been a minute since I, he's played. Yeah, it's been a minute, especially that deck. Since you played that deck, yeah. But yeah, it does I, have an instant win combo, where if you can draw enough cards... But <laughs> yeah, it's basically, it's Archaeomancer, Tunnel Vision, and you, you just use it to find Approach of the Second Sun, so that then I can... And then I think I bounce Archaeomancer to return Tunnel Vision from my graveyard to play it again. And then I search for the second sign again. And then if I have enough mana to play it, you know. Something that, that's, like that. That's, you can Tunnel that's, Vision a second time and then cast Approach of the Second Sun a second. But anyway, I just remember how that deck has evolved. How it started off as just something where bounce. A, a kid... <laughs> took all of their draft chaff you know, yeah, all of the cards much. that they had gathered that had into the battlefield abilities and now it's become a really strong deck that we have to watch out for every moment of the game yeah it it could be a lot meaner but i don't i don't enjoy the the blue white uh i'm going to tap down and stop everyone else yeah you know i don't like to i guess like stop people from playing their decks but i know if, if, like, if I was on the other side of that, I would find that really obnoxious to be like, all right, well, everything's coming in tapped, and then, oh, it came untapped? Well, I'm going to tap it down for another two turns. And it's just, you know, that's just like, ugh. Yeah. So if, that's if, like, why I don't... Yeah. I made that Lavinia deck and played it, yeah. I think, twice. That Lavinia Azorius Renegade deck that was just full of effects that said you can play one spell per turn. Yeah, Derek had a had a what was that Rhino deck? Oh my it god, was uh, Rune. Rune. Rune, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Benjamin still has Derevi. 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 That's right. Derevi Imperial Tactician. Yeah, and I have nothing against them. It's just I I don't want to put someone through the like I'm gonna tap it down, tap tap it down. I have nothing against them. It's just I'll kill myself if I play it one more time. <laughs> hey, at, yeah, at I, least you I, get I to keep it. Else out. <laughs> yeah, but it's keeping it, but unable, but like like in prison is 
just as bad as losing it. <laughs> in a lot of cases. Here, I'll get to some. I'll get. To, we'll get to some more of those uh, specific items and specific decks a little bit later. All Things right. that have come up in our meta that have led us to change and led us to make certain situations. But that does immediately lead us into good communication. Our group is great at active listening. It is important to be open and responsive to criticism. Everybody online is always saying, you know, the number one advice in REDH is often talk to your playgroup. And we can talk to our playgroup, but that's not going to do much good if they don't listen to the things we have to say. Yeah. And so we need to be responsive to criticism. When other people have comments about our decks or about our playstyle, we need to listen to them and then judge whether we do need to change or whether more negotiation has to happen. And in that vein, I have included some items about giving constructive criticism. Make sure that when you are talking to your playgroup about a problem that needs addressing, that you're phrasing it in these healthy ways. Healthy way number one is called an I message. This is when the criticism focuses on the action and not the person. It does not do a lot of good when criticizing someone to just call them a jerk. That's not helpful. The criticism needs to focus on whatever the hurtful action was. So we call that an I message. I feel blank when blank happens. We call forth the way we're feeling and the way we're feeling hurt. And then we describe the action that caused it. Not for the person, but the action. We were talking about playing against stacks against a deck that says you can only play one spell per turn, or the emblem that says you can only untap two lands per turn. I feel stuck when cards like that are played. Right, not when you play those cards. Right. You leave the word you out of there. Exactly, leave the word you out, because I would feel that way no matter who played that spell, okay? I mentioned this in a past episode. I used to have an Avacyn Angel of Hope deck that was full of board wipes, and it had, I think, two land destruction spells, Armageddon and then Fall of the Thran. Is that what it was called? Yeah. Yes. Both of those cards destroy all lands. So the entire game can almost be solved if I've played Avacyn and then destroyed everybody's lands. If nobody else can play any more spells for the rest of the game, then I can just bash people over the head with Avacyn over and over again, especially as I continue playing spells. So when we couch it in an I message, we know that it's the action that caused that hurt. Another way to give constructive criticism is called the compliment sandwich, where you give a person a compliment, then you provide the criticism, then you give them a second compliment on the other side. That way you are assuring the person that you still value them, that they are still a friend, but that there's an issue that needs addressing. The example I wanted to provide for that one was whenever Benjamin had his Orvar the Allform deck. This is a mono-blue deck, a shapeshifter, and his effect is that whenever something gets targeted, you can copy it. Whenever something he controls gets targeted, he can copy it. And he would copy 
what was it? Agent of Treachery? Agent of Treachery, yes. Agent of Treachery has an effect that whenever it enters the battlefield, you can steal an opponent's permanent. So he would play tons of effects that all targeted the same thing, Agent of Treachery. And then he ended up stealing both mine and Randy's entire board's worth of <laughs> worth of cards. Sorry. Before, <laughs> uh, before addressing the problem, I want to tell Benjamin, wow, it is so impressive that you made a deck that is capable of doing that. So I want to give him a compliment. I want to acknowledge the hard work that went into that deck construction. And then... I'll say the I message. Stop it. <laughs> I feel like I can't play the game anymore because I don't have lands or creatures. <laughs> or because I don't have every anything. It's a it's a firm, beloved stop it. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. And it goes and we've talked about this a couple times. It, it's about how we want to spend our time together. If I'm not playing magic, which just kind of means, you know, playing lands, making mana, casting spells, if I don't get to do those things then the time we're spending isn't in the way we had planned. The same thing happened when I was playing Jaleva. Derek, I'll turn it over to you. How did you feel whenever I would play Jaleva and Jaleva-like cards? Cards that would take cards from my opponents and let me play them instead. Any one of the things that Jaleva does, I, I can deal with one at a time or whatever, but she's she's milling me, she's exiling my cards, she's playing my cards, she's keeping the, like, you know, she's just overvaluing, uh, it's just, there's no way to stop her, because you just play her, and it's an even bigger effect, and it gets stronger and stronger every time you remove her. Right, she exiles cards equal to the amount of mana you spent to cast her, so whenever you cast her from the command zone and gets removed, you cast her again, and the effect is just even worse the second, third, fourth time you cast her. Yeah, it's just, it's so brutal. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was something like, Travis, you've done a, you've made a great deck, but I hate this commander. <laughs> <laughs> Derek! That's what the bleep, Language that's what Derek. the bleep button's for. This is a game I for kids. For the beaten, the, I, we pay for the bleep button, let's use the bleep button. <laughs> Y'all were worried about me, remember? <laughs> we were, we thought Randy was going to be the one. I'm the bad boy of podcast. There's the one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that entire deck was all about stealing my opponent's cards. And what sucks is that Jaleva specifically exiles them. Doesn't matter if I ever cast them or not, but they're not in the graveyard for him to recur later. They're just gone forever. So if it was a piece of removal that he was hoping to draw, or maybe it was a creature that was important for his deck, or maybe it was a combo piece. Like, none of that matters, because just casting Jaleva and her entering the battlefield can remove stuff from the from the game. Yeah, yeah. If, like, if RNG was unlucky or something, you know, she could wipe out every... Like, let's say it's, I got, like, five or ten removal spells coming up, and just remove the whole thing, and now this deck can't do a single thing. Yeah, for real. I wanted to point out that we, when being asked to tune down or lay off these effects, we responded... And did it. Like, I took out all of the take control effects out of Orvar. Mm -hmm. And I have, a f I have like, I think two effects that will trade permanents. Right. But they're not yeah, repeatable. Yeah, substitution. Yeah. Just because it's too perfect in that deck to ignore it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's not repeatable. It's not a creature that I can copy. It's a spell. Right. I, I have two spells, I think, that, that will exchange control. And I can't just take everything you have. 
it lets me copy something I have and take one one of your things. But I took out all the creatures that come in and steal stuff. I think there's something that comes that you know comes in and steals artifacts, something that comes in and steals land, and I, and I just took them all out. And I said, you know what? There are other ways to build Orvar. I still get the fun of you know copying a tide spout tyrant and bouncing all your stuff or whatever. But we're in oh, the yeah. we're in or, the end or game. Copying or copying caged sun. Right, yes. <laughs> and making your infinite blue mana that way. Yeah. I realized I could have fun playing Orvar without doing the thing that bothered Travis, and so I did it. Right. Yeah, I, yeah. And, the, and the same was true with Jaleva. I, I said, okay, my friends don't like it when I steal their spells or steal even the opportunity for them to play their spells. So I'm going to switch over. I need to find different ways to create card advantage for myself. So now, even in other red decks, every time I look at Stolen Strategy, which is a card that every turn looks at my opponent's top card and I can cast spells from them and exiles them. Even then, every time, I'm going to think about it more whenever I'm deciding whether that card makes it into the deck or not. Because I know that that's something that upsets Derek and gets in the way of him having a good time playing Magic. And that brings us to one of the probably most major things. We've, we've already said friendly environment. We've talked about uh, equal skill and a, a learning environment, a growth mindset where everybody feels like they can improve. But you must care about the fun of others. Your own joy is not the only thing that matters in a group setting with your friends. Yeah, and a lot of people will, and I've seen this on Reddit a lot, say, well, if I take care of what, what makes fun for me and, and they take care of what makes fun for them, then we'll all have a good time. And that's not how a game with more than one person works. A lot of times fun is not, I don't want to say it's zero sum, but a lot of times you can do things that sucks the fun out of what someone else wants to do and they have no control over your actions. So it's a collaborative right. effort to have fun, even in a game you're trying to win. Yeah, the game, the meta... A recurring group is about a collaborative experience where all of us are trying to make all of us have fun. Just like if we were playing Dungeons & Dragons or Mage. The responsibility is on all of us to make sure that the other people have a good time. We all want to be a part of a story that we can tell again and again and again. Yeah. So those are some qualities of a good meta. We've talked about friendly environment and caring about the fun of others. So now, I want us to talk about the people in our meta. Some of these traits that we see and traits of our meta specifically. We're gonna start with the interpersonal relationships that are at play in our meta. We can look at how each person exists as a member of our group. Things that anybody from outside would need to know if they were going to play with us. The first thing is obviously Benjamin and my sibling rivalry. We are brothers. He's my older brother. I've always felt like his Joey Wheeler or his Vegeta, you know, his, his second best. Derek and Randy have a rivalry. They have been close friends for many, many years. Derek, Randy, anything you guys want to add there? Ours isn't so much like a uh, want to be better than the other one. I think ours is more like along with like sibling. Cause we've been friends for so long <laughs> and we're so similar that we know how to wrestle each other's jimmies. And so it's <laughs> really just about push each other's buttons. Yeah, it's really just about or you know going after someone's personality instead of like their <laughs> deck or whatever. That's how I feel about it. 
<laughs> Making it very personal, huh? Yeah. That's like, yeah, he's so, talking a lot of trash. So, like, <laughs> so if a stranger came into our group, they might be surprised that Derek sends damage over at Randy for no reason. <laughs> but for us, that's part of the fun because they're pushing forward their rivalry. Benjamin has an arch enemy history, yep. which he's talked about before also. Benjamin, do you want to add anything else about your arch enemy history? Yeah, in an earlier episode, Randy thought I was playing uh, some sort of long game by talking <laughs> about how this arch enemy history persists. But uh, <laughs> while everyone else in the meta has caught up and we're we're roughly equal, I'd say, in, in deck building and skill, but the boogeyman exists still, right? The, mm-hmm. oh, Benjamin's got a new deck and, and it does things. And I don't like it when Benjamin's decks do things. Yeah. And so that that's a uh, part of the history of our meta and it, and it does persist. And I don't mind it, right? If, if I consider that I'm playing against myself, I build with that in mind, which probably keeps it going. And I, <laughs> and I, I play knowing that... I either need to win fast or or expect to to be you know taken out of existence. A, a, a recent example of this is I built I recently built a Zakama deck that I think we're about to talk about, and I remember a game when we were at the LGS and like everyone t- took turns taking out my my companion my Zerda companion where That's I was right, I was yeah. like oh I got a way to get it back and you're like nope exile it and I was like uh. Okay, yeah, I'll use this I way to get that. it back. Nope, dead. And I was like, oh, man, all three of you are just holding up removal for Zerda. Okay, that's fine, <laughs> I guess. All right. All right. Well, it, you know, uh, but to I be fair, it. it's like we just we just took the, the nuclear handbook with all the codes, and we all just kind of kept, like, kept away. Because uh, I know as soon as... <laughs> yeah, played keep away with it. That's yeah, exactly as, soon right. as, as soon as Zakama came on the board, it's tactical nukes flying in every direction. True. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the difference I, between one mana and three mana for Zakama's ability is just debilitating. If each of his abilities costs one mana, you can... I mean, just from the mana spent to cast him, you can do nine things. Yep. You can do. You can activate his abilities nine times. Meanwhile, if Zerda does get knocked out or removed, you're down to three activations. Yeah. That's totally different. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, like, I just feel like lately, every time Benjamin comes up with a card that, or a strategy that we haven't seen before, I'm like, Benjamin wouldn't be playing it if it wasn't degenerate in some way. <laughs> he's He's got to be doing something weird or wacky. And I think part of it is, what so what he said a minute ago with, in my head, it was like, okay, he's the boogeyman. He always has these really, really strong decks. So he's been arch-enemied. Well, and now he's like, well, I know I got to be fast and go quick and, you know, really be even more aggressive. And so that's like, it, it makes it makes your decks even scarier. Because now it's like, now he's really trying, guys. <laughs> now, now, now he he's, wasn't trying before he's in, when all of us sucked. He's anticipating us ganging better, up on him. He gets better, too. Exactly. He's anticipating us to gang up on him. So he's like, well, I'm going to have like multiple i mean you're, you're becoming bad <laughs> you're just having contingency plans on top of contingency well, and, plans. and that's a good point this so this is a back and forth part of the meta maybe some of that rock paper scissors that that travis mm-hmm. was talking about in a different way and this is metagaming knowing that that y'all would see zerda as a as a threat and go after him i put in a bunch of instant speed ways to save zerda which is why it took all of you yeah. ganging up on me to kill it. So, Absolutely. like, it's part of this back and forth. Yeah. Like, and so it makes you, uh, uh, once again, back to being the yeah. boogeyman. 
it's it's like a self fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. I uh, I don't super think of Benjamin as the arch enemy anymore. And maybe you feel differently, Benjamin. But I feel like we work together. You and I work together more often than we don't. Oh uh, yeah. I, like I, I know we're that. still trying to win, but when we're, oh, when we're doing that. like oh yeah, like politics and deals and stuff yeah. like that, it's usually Derek us two making has deals gotten each other. more evil than he, than he used to be. <laughs> And you know mm-hmm. why? It's because of Benjamin. I was like, he's making good decks. <laughs> I like I couldn't beat you, so I joined you. And now I Oh yeah. All my decks have just become like this will take care of Benjamin. This will take care of Randy. This will take care of Travis. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and and this your your good deck building. This isn't new. It goes back to uh, uh, what's the one that that cascades twice and gives everything haste. Maelstrom Wonder. Maelstrom, Maelstrom Wonder. You know, was a was a big boogie, boogeyman years ago, and yeah, mm-hmm. it was nuts. I mean, and of course that makes you the boogeyman for that game, and and I'm happy for that. But yeah, <laughs> you're right. I think it's very often we're like, oh, Travis is doing something. Let, let's make this you and I, and let's go after him. But you'll still pull out the, the exile effect on Zerda. I saw that. Right. Yeah, no, I, I'll do it in a heartbeat. <laughs> but out of four people, I feel like, you know, I could go to Benjamin first. Because I feel like you're very good, uh, a very good sport about being the Archer of Beans like that. And you kind of like let it, you know, like water off your back type of situation. Sure. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, Benjamin, this, this Arch Enemy history, do you like being in that position where you have to play tight every game? Or do you wish there were games where you could pull it back and just not have that reputation? I think generally I like it. I, I like, you know, it's kind of an ego boost. You've to- mentioned a couple times that you like playing from behind. Yeah, generally I like, like it. It's a challenge the, that you like the chase. Yeah, yeah. To know that I can't that I can't count on on anybody to to point their removal elsewhere forces me to to play the value game of hey I, I've got to have ways to get it back because it's gonna die. Even in our you know when our meta swings towards not having a lot of removal, I just expect whatever removal's there to be pointed at my stuff. And so I plan, you know, I've got the recursion and, and I've got the protection and all of that. And so I think there are times where I've made really bad decks I, and, and done it on purpose because I'm playing a theme or something like uh, the partner deck that mm-hmm. I made where it's like, this deck is terrible. And, and it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm having, it's a gag, right? And I think... Which deck do you mean? The one where he had, like, partner with, like, it's just all, nothing but oh, partner with Oh, your five-color party time Tazri deck. Yes, the one where yeah. every single creature in the deck has partners with, <laughs> and and Benjamin, that deck inspired me to make a bad five color deck. Yeah, and, and but your bad five color deck is good. My bad five color deck is bad. Mine didn't have enough card draw in it. Well, I only played that, it two or three times, but, but that's that's easily fixable, right? Yeah. Mine, the theme took all, every available space like i think once once i put all the cards in there i think i had five flex slots that i basically used to figure out ways to put the cards in the graveyard back in the library so i could get them again (laughs) like that was basically how i did the the flex slots yeah like it has basically no removal it has no card draw except to that it can go fetch the partner all of that and so when i feel like whenever i do something like that i don't want to be treated as the arch enemy and i feel like i was because i had a partner out like pa- what pa- paka and uh haldan haldan and paka oh yeah, yeah. yeah cuz you were taking so many cards i think yeah wasn't I, it yeah i think that's that's probably what it was but it's like the rest of the deck sucks so the fact that i drew two good cards <laughs> yeah doesn't yeah. mean i need to be arch enemy and then enemy. you started stealing our stuff you started jaleva ink yep yeah I get it. You take one or two, fine. That's the price of doing business. Take ten, okay, it's war. Okay. <laughs> that's show business. I've yep. heard you. Yeah, I think that's the, you know, 80% of the time, it's fun, I like it, and that's why I don't 
complain about it the 20% of the time. I don't because I don't want, one, I don't want to bring everybody down. But two, it's like, hey, you know, if if I like it most of the time, I don't want y'all to stop, right? And so I like sure. the reputation. I like to see the fear in your eyes when I pull out a new commander or, oh God. or whatever. <laughs> and so, and so I'm gonna, you know, we're going to keep doing it. I do think that when you realize that there's a gag in play and this, you know, this is not the sort of deck that... That I when we realize that it's ladies looking left, right? When it or w- chair tribal, yeah. And I don't do a whole lot of those, but but <laughs> I've done more than than it's is obvious, I think. And when it's one of those, I, I want some leeway to to have the, a chance for the deck to do the thing. Sure, yeah, good talk. Uh, there are a couple things I wanted to hit. Our meta has some common group behaviors, things that we do in a four player game. And I do think that these are pretty common and pretty normal for most EDH groups. Or maybe not. I don't know. If your group does different things than us, let us know in the comments. So we like to swing early and spread out damage. We don't. We usually don't like to focus down one person, you know, faster than everybody else. And we've talked about that in a previous episode, too. It's because we're all playing the game together and we don't want one person to be sitting out while the rest of the while everybody else finishes but swinging early might be something that other groups don't do i don't know and then not attacking people who are mana screwed usually the people who are clearly behind get left alone and then this it's pretty normal for that person to come back in the end and get third or second place yeah if not if not win outright yeah that might actually be one of the flaws of our meta is that we're very forgiving when you stumble early and it forg- oh, yeah. it forgives a lot of deck building mistakes you know it lets people win randy's with- 27 lands right <laughs> and it- <laughs> that was my yeah I, I really think it might have been your second deck, deck i ever super, made super early in your career because it was glissa and then brago and then everything else was yeah. just a pre-con you know so that was yeah, the second that deck deck was man that, that means you've had brago for a very long time is that like your your spirit animal your may have been second Ir- Actually, I think Airwas was second. Okay. Braga was third. It was pretty, pretty yeah. early on because I remember my very first mm-hmm. Christmas in Houston. I got all of you like alt art versions of, of yes. Oh yeah, and, I, and yeah. Brago, right. Brago was the one I got for Randy. So it was shortly after. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it's still there. But yeah, it was it was Airwas yeah. then Brago. But yeah, like you were saying, Benjamin, that might be a flaw. A weakness in our meta and if i were to play strangers at a magic fest then that might be something that gets me caught up is me showing leeway to somebody who's behind yeah so now that we've talked about some group behaviors and some of the relationships each one of us has certain behaviors that are fairly predictable if you've (laughs) played with us a lot and so we're gonna kind of talk about those now some of our individual style preferences benjamin start us off what are some just personal magic things you do that you think are quintessential benjamin and derek randy feel free to jump in here if you're like oh man benjamin you always do xyz or whatever so we're all gonna point at benjamin first sure okay so first of all i i hate feeling helpless Right, and this this is from before ever being arch enemy. But I, one of the things that that originally made me so bad at aggro, was 
I hated not having answers to what other people were doing. And so you can't mm-hmm. sit there with a handful of answers when you're when you're going aggro. You gotta you gotta be putting pressure on the board and go 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 make them have answers. Well, I love right. you have to you have to your you, the cards in your hand are the threats that you have to play right rather than being the answers for your opponent's threats right. So I was really bad at aggro basically until until Randy made me the perfect aggro deck. <laughs> and, but okay. but until then, so so that really pushed me towards towards mid range and control, right? I love to to stall till I can till I can play something big or control, and then wait and not, and not play a threat until I've totally neutralized the board or something like that. And in fact, when I'm deck building, depending, I will always just go, okay, what are the five best removal spells in the colors I have, and stick them in there. And then maybe it's because I'm sadistic, or maybe it's just. But I love to put all of the creatures that say enters the battlefield, everybody sacrifices a creature. And they keep printing more, so I keep adding more to my deck. Yep. Gross. Yep. That is quintessential Benjamin. Flashbang Marauder, Merciless Executioner, Plague Crafter, Demon's Disciple? Is that a new one? Is that a new one? It's been no, a little while. A I mean, there's somewhere. there's like Slum Reaper. But they all cost three. <laughs> yeah. And they, yep, they just, they keep coming out with more. There was a spirit relatively new that says if if a creature died this turn draw a card otherwise everybody sacrifices a creature oh my god that, that's a one from I that's think, ridiculous earlier this year I, I keep adding more and it goes with my with another thing which is i hate losing access to a card so i also hated jaleva i hate losing access to a card i almost always make my graveyard like another hand i i put in so, ways to get my stuff back because I don't want to mm-hmm. lose access to it. If it gets removed, I want it back. I have noticed that cards like Rest in Peace will just totally knock you out. Yeah, because I I, I spend so much space in my decks on cards that get stuff back from my graveyard that when you play something right. like Rest in Peace, those cards become dead. I can't use them. Yeah. And so that comboed with the creatures that come into play and sack themselves i just hey let's just recycle those and recycle those and it just keeps the board clear yeah it keeps the board clear and i can i can play other things on top of it and, and keep swinging in while y'all are just not doing anything and that's fun to me i know y'all like to do things but it's fun to me to have answers <laughs> and and it's so hard to have an answer to sacrifice a creature basically the only way the only one who, of y'all who has a whole lot of answers would be randy because he plays he plays tokens a lot Mm-hmm. But if you're if all you're doing is like Derek playing these huge creatures that that are supposed to run away with the game, it's like, well, I've got a ton of three minute answers to everything you play, and you can't protect them. And yeah, I like that. I like that. Yeah, because sacrifice. It, I mean, it gets around indestructible. Gets around. Gets hexproof, around hexproof. You know, around protection. Yep, protection ward. Just doesn't matter. Yep, doesn't matter. So. I like that stuff a lot. When I'm building decks, I like to build combo decks, but they are not fun to play after maybe the second or third time. To me, it's like, yeah. okay, I've, I've done the thing, and it plays out the same way every time. And I know that maybe sounds weird when I say I, I do a lot of graveyard recursion, but with graveyard recursion, playing it over again, it depends on what's in the graveyard in the first place. So each game will play right. out a little differently. It depends on the, on what you drew first. Yeah, if I you know if I drew Sakura Tribelder, then that's going to be a ramp a ramp game, and I'm going to be I'm going to be getting a new land every turn, yeah. from recurring and replaying that one. Whereas if I drew Fleshbag Marauder, then every, that's going to be an, a keeping the board clear game. And so who, who was it that we when we last played that kept. I think it was like Solemnson Lacrum, where they were getting so much value from every single turn. Was that it Randy was Travis, in Martresa? 
Oh, maybe. I thought it was Travis Rainy in sense. his new um, Marin. It was his uh, his Marin deck. No, that was with the uh, the lizard or the that newt. was festering newt. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this was like some kind of like creature. I think it was Randy in his Queen Marchesa or his uh, Marchesa the Black Rose deck, where he I would sacrifice right. it and then bring it back every single turn. He just had a ton of lands. Yeah, that yes, deck is a very me deck, I, and I'm very that's proud of Randy for Marchesa it. Deck. Yeah. yeah. Benjamin says, yes, my child. I shall name you Darth Randy. Yeah. <laughs> Darth. Darth Randy. A great example of the building a combo and then only playing it a few times is I had a Mimnark deck. So Mimnark says you can turn anything into an artifact with one of his abilities and you can take control of any artifact with his other ability. So that's the entire combo on one card in the command zone. You have access to it every game. The entire rest of the deck was, was about getting infinite mana so that I could turn everything on the board into an artifact and take control of everything, which is supposed to be, you know, we're not supposed to continue playing. It's supposed to be when I, once I've taken control of everything, you say, okay, next game, because you can't do anything and I've got all the stuff. Right. But one of the only times I ever played that game, Travis had one hexproof creature that could not be stolen. <laughs> so he, Was it Sigarda? Yes, it was Sigarda. Oh, man, that deck was so good. And, and so I could not take Sigarda... But I could, so, but every, as soon as you played a land, I would take it and whatever. So it was just, could yep. you get in with Sigarda before I could <laughs> kill you with everything else I'd stolen? But that was insane. But I realized it was going to play like that every time. I, I did the same thing with Trazen. I built a Trazen deck where it was, I'm going to go infinite with Trazen by putting a bunch of artifacts in the graveyard. And it worked. It did the thing. The fir- and I haven't played it since. Oh, yeah. yeah. That the first was... time you played it, it just went off like clockwork. Yeah. I love to build those. It's like building the puzzle. You know, I think we talked about this last episode. You know, it's the mind game of can I build something that'll that'll go off and do do exactly what it's supposed to do? And then it's like, well, yes, I can. And then I put those aside. I, I haven't even brought Orvar or Trazen the last couple times we've played. It's just sitting at mm-hmm. home. Not going to take them apart. They're, they're works of art. I, I don't... <laughs> I don't like playing them, uh, so I, I do prefer the 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 grindy value. Build a an indomitable board state with while I keep everything else clear, and then I, I treat you out of the game. Right, that's my that's my style of play. But I do make concessions for what people like. Right, I've I've gone down on board wipes considerably. I've gone down on gain control effects considerably. Mm-hmm. I and, and unless same here. I made I made an Arden Crom deck yeah where all of the auras were supposed to be taking my opponent's creatures and that way if anybody played anything good i could use arden to just switch the aura to some something else yeah but i think i played that once and i was like nah yeah it's it's, it's bad enough yeah so benjamin those uh the orvar and then the trazen deck you were talking about those are the ones you, you know just like to keep them and then take them to the you know those magic fest events where you have like competitive magic yeah, where you can get like, you know, where you can get tickets, tickets from buy your commander stuff. games. Yeah, Benjamin just shows up to all his commander yeah. pods hustling. <laughs> oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So so, so yeah, five. just kind of this thing. It's called commander. Just bought right? this pre-com off the shelf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been a few upgrades. That that's when you take um the the Rogak deck I gave you, and you say, yeah, this was a fifty dollar <laughs> Christmas deck that my friend gave me. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then they see a, a sword a piece of bam and they're like 50 dollars what 
My butt. Randy. Uh, Derek got me started. That was hours ago, Randy. <laughs> Feels like hours ago. It does. Hours All right. ago. All right. Randy, yeah. you're next. We're going to talk about how you play Magic. I would say I like value, I would say, a bit. Trying to get the most I can out of a card. So, like, Brago, bouncing ETB effects. Uh, ETB is enter the battlefield, for those who don't know. So, it's like, when a card enters the battlefield, it does something. Well, Brago makes it where you can make them all leave the battlefield and then come back in. So I enjoy stuff like that. The mono-white Oketra deck that I made Mm -hmm. where uh, it's basically I play a bunch of little bitty white cards and they come in with big 5-5. Like bodyguards is kind of how, yeah, how they I all come in with it. zombie tokens to protect them. Big five, yeah. I think they're four, four or five, five. I can't remember. So I try to do a lot of like little bitty things, like when it enters, draw a card. When it enters, when it enters, gain three life. Just whatever. Yes, it enters, gain three life. I, which my other big thing, I love. Randy loves life gain. life gain. He just says cushion, cushion, cushion. Early on, when I was like, well, if losing <laughs> life is what kills me, then I want to gain life. I was, I was like. Well, <laughs> It's a built-in yeah. mechanic to win the game, it, you know? And so I was like, okay, well, I can't lose if they can't kill me. Anyway, so, you know, I really enjoy life gain. I have a Daring King of Keldor. It's one of my favorites. It's pretty resilient. Super resilient, yeah. Yeah, anytime anyone does anything, White has made a card that will make me gain life from it. You play creature, I gain life. Your creature died, I gain life. My creature died, gain life. All those kind of scenarios. Drawing cards, gain life. Do combat damage, gain life. So it's a lot of just do this, do this, gain life. I want to leave myself open to attack. Have a big pool of life to cushion the blow. People hit me. I put a bunch of creatures onto the battlefield because of it. And then I have what are called the Soul Sisters out. And they (laughs) gain me life. So you hit me for 10. I put 10 creatures on the battlefield. I gain 20 life. That's kind of the thing. Is It's like... Yeah, just Swing. this long game of attrition where, you know, mm-hmm. even hitting him is beneficial for him. Yeah, I want you to hit me, which also leads into my, you know, I guess other thing of like, I, I want to swing out. You know, early on, I was like, you win, you win by combat. That's how you win. I want to fight to, to get the win most time. I, I want to swing out. So, so I have things. an observation here. Randy wants to swing out when he can win. I was about to say the same thing. Yes. If, if he, if it would leave him open... Randy is super cautious. Like, he yes. could have a huge army, but if he can't destroy <laughs> all players at once, he'll hold all of them up. I, I get nervous sometimes from crackback. Because you, you like, used to do this with my Krenko mob boss deck, yeah. where every goblin is expendable. They simply don't matter. It's the definition of aggro. You just want to be swinging yeah. out, and it doesn't matter. But you would say, uh, I don't know, I only have 80 goblins. That's not enough to kill all three people. No, I'm just gonna hold it up. I know. I was. I was. Well, I'm saying. And so I. I was worried about crackback. Yeah. And so just that's in case. Why I would. That, that's why I built Darian. Was like, yeah. okay, the crackback is good. Yeah, the crackback won't matter because you will have built the cushion for it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, so that's why you know I. I love. I. I love Cranko, and it's like okay, Darian's my flavor of Cranko. Mm-hmm. I get real big army, and then I can swing it out. So let's see, like live game. I like big creatures. Yeah, I think I covered kind of the, my uh, my finger spellbook. Yeah, I put huge power toughness creatures for both you and for Derek. There was a time yeah. in our meta where Derek had Omnath, Randy had Multani, 
and it just it was not yeah. unusual for our for you got for every deck to come down to commander damage. Mm-hmm. And it's like why yeah. why do all of our games have a creature with twenty power toughness? <laughs> it's just well, it, it, it's so hard Tani, it to, was... to to overcome that because it just yeah, becomes it, a it wall. Was... It was a uh, a Robo War, War, uh, Roar of, War the world. of the World, you know that precon, you know that got me into like, oh, Voltron is fun. Like, yeah. I only get one creature, but he's really big, and he can just one shot someone. Mm-hmm. I mean, Erowas is nothing to sneeze at either. He's, yeah, it, what, exactly. I, I like to be able to swing and not have to worry about you know the whole like Mathis blockers. It's like no <laughs> Mathis for no one with Erowas. <laughs> Doesn't matter, or, or I guess at that point it really is only for blockers because Erowas is like. You're not going to kill me. Right. You know, you're not going to kill my army. So it's truly only for the blockers at that point where it's like, well, what do you want to put in front and sacrifice? Because like, here's what's coming at you. I've tried to branch out, I guess, a little bit. Yeah, your Marchesa deck is super resilient too. Yeah. Just playing that really long game and creating that insurmountable value. Yeah. Nimizit, Guild Pact, super just like, ah, dang, board wipe. He'll play Niv Mizzet and just get a whole new fresh hand of stuff Do to play. Do you mean Niv Mizzet Reborn? When I say that, I, I, I think I said Guild Pack. Like that's Jace. Jace is the Guild Pack, right? I think. Yeah, Jace, Jace is. I the think Niv-Mizzet Aftermath Reborn. had a Niv Mizzet card. I think no. Niv Mizzet Supreme. I think I remember the memes of him wearing a sweater. <laughs> or a jacket. Okay, that's funny. <laughs> I'm just imagining so, Niv Mizzet with that drip. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he knitted himself. No, yeah, you're right. It was Niv Mizzet Reborn. Yeah, and then I think. Jace had a card where right. it was like Jace, the living guild pack. Right. Then is reborn when he is reborn as the guild pack himself. So like I'm not crazy. That one's a very resilient deck. A couple other so decks you have that just gain overwhelming value. Yeah, shrines. Huge armies yeah. and they're all big. Uh, yeah. Miriam Sentinel Worm, which is yeah. just kind of like classic dragon tribal, but no, it's not just one. It's two of them. <laughs> Getting double, baby. <laughs> yeah. Again, I, I like like like. Getting some value for like if like I'm gonna spend this man, I really want to make it count. I have some other things c- coming down the pipeline. I'm hoping you know will be fun. I have a spell slinger deck coming up. Ooh, fun! <gasps> yeah, it, it's gonna be it's gonna be another is it deck probably. Cool. So I'm not sure if it's gonna cannibalize the one you you got me. <gasps> well, I mean, like like I think it'll be at Arjun. I think I would keep Arjuna as as a secondary commander. Okay. So, so like, I, it's still gonna be is it? So I can just pop him in and out. Okay, that makes sense. But so it'd be, it'd be upgrading him finally. So that so. brings us to some of Derek's style preferences. I mentioned huge power toughness creatures for you too. You've got Thrun. You had Omnath, original green jelly bean mm-hmm. for a while. Was that your very first deck that you made yourself? That was the very first deck I ever made, and I still I still love that little man. He's my uh, backup commander in Thrun now. Nice. Or he's one of... It's Thrun, Thrun, and Old Omnath. <laughs> right. <laughs> Thrun, then Thrun, then Old Omnath. Yeah. Yeah, I love huge power power toughness creatures. I like to play huge creatures because I like, I like every card I play to be a threat. And I know I could play like an early game thing. So I, I'm mostly like a, a mid-range person where I spend the first half of the game ramping like crazy you know i got seven eight nine mana by like turn five hopefully so i can start throwing these things out every turn and hopefully you know once i start eating all y'all's removal i can start playing the actual stuff i want to play to win Mm -hmm. the game so that's the idea but you know these creatures and these spells are super expensive so my 
biggest thing is uh, I know we said value, but mine's kind of like a different value. It's all about cheating stuff in. Oh yeah. Okay. I mean, Omnath, I could store all my mana. You know, if I don't spend everything, I could save it for next turn. I had Gashath, which is cheating out a ton of dinosaurs. That's right. And then Maelstrom Wanderer is cascading into them. Yeah. Henzi is reducing their cost with Blitz. Yes. Garuda lets me uh, mill the top four. Wow. I can't believe I never put it together before this. Derek <laughs> likes to cheat. I do. Uh, and I, I have stuff he like... He likes um, his discounts. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, a, I'm a coupon shopper for green creatures. So that's what it is. Derek's Gorklaw. thrift has yeah. extended into his magic play. That's what it is. <laughs> see I'm, I'm running through my deck real quick there's lurking predators that's right when you guys cast a spell if it's a creature i think i can play it for free and the creatures i'm playing are you know board warping usually oh yeah so these types of effects is that i, I want to cheat as much as i can legally <laughs> so you know being these big creatures once i get to that point in the game it's kind of trying to keep the pressure on when i can i think i usually attack more than i don't attack but you know, it depends on the situation. And lately, I can, I, I can like, look back at my, the decks I've made. I can kind of, like, categorize them as in, like, oh, these were these were bad decks. These were my medium decks or whatever. And I'm in kind of a new era where I'm becoming more like Benjamin, where it's just lots of recursion, lots of target removal mm-hmm. now. Isn't that so cool to see how your own how your own deck building goes through eras and goes through phases? Yeah. So I know when I made my Kenrith, which was kind of a group hug until it's not. Right. It's like, yeah, we can all be friends here, have some cards or whatever, and then I'm going to play Cowardice or Dismissing the Dreams, and I'm going to break y'all's back. <laughs> and then on Garuda, it's a clone. It's not really clone tribal, but it's full of clones that cost even amounts of mana. So we can have fun. I can start cloning all y'all stuff. Or if I want to go into try-hard mode, get real sweaty, uh, <laughs> I'll just start cloning Garuda over and over and over and over until I just win the game and have, you know, I just put out 20 creatures. Oh, yeah. It's happened. In one turn. So it just, like, my decks kind of have, like, like hey, we're having a good time. And then it's like, okay, let me shift gears into, uh, let's let's wrap this game up. And then with Thrun and Henzi, the deck I've called Embrace Nihilism, <laughs> and it doesn't matter who lives who dies they're coming back nothing is going to slow this deck down unless i don't get my ramp or if your early ramp should be removed yeah <laughs> huh i wonder who would do that yeah that's so weird and then in like thrun i've got some stuff to you know really push the game over i uh play where is it hall of gemstone which each turn a player chooses the color and then their mana only taps for that color so it doesn't matter to me because I'm mono green, but for y'all, it can be debilitating. You know, these I think we said it earlier. I'm getting meaner. <laughs> I'm putting more stacks pieces. I've got yeah. Ulamog and Kozilek and Void Winter in that deck. In Hinzi or Thrun? In Thrun. Okay. Since it's mono green and rampy. Yeah. Yeah. I have I, I played it one time. It the betrays in Hinzi. I can make y'all sacrifice creatures and then when y'all do, when it that betrays is out on the field, I get those creatures back. And I think that really did some work one game we played mm-hmm. my deck building now is becoming so i like i said i i've said it before uh i really admire how benjamin can be the arch enemy and i want my decks to be able to be arch enemy and still win is the goal it's not always the truth but that's how i build 
decks these days. Cool. I personally, I am a prolific deck builder. I am always trying as many different strategies as I can, and so I didn't know what to put in the outline for me. Are there any moves or behaviors that you think are just quintessential Travis where it doesn't matter what deck I'm playing? Because I feel like I try to be, you know, obviously it's hard for me to evaluate myself. I try to adjust my behavior based on the deck I'm playing. But what do you guys see in me? I know you and I, especially, I don't know if specifically Randy and Benjamin, but you and I, going back all the way back to Smash Brothers, we've always loved variety. Mm -hmm. Not playing the same character over and over again. You know, it's the new character every turn. And for you, it's like a new deck every time you play. And even like my decks, like I, I want each deck to do something differently. Mm-hmm. And so you've got like 30 decks or something. I'm up to 35. And they all do, yeah, something different. Like you're very I, much a variety I do know man. that sometimes you get fixated on a certain concept and you'll build decks over and over and over until you, you find something that works. Like, I remember you going through a phase where it was like, we need to play a fair game of magic. <laughs> and, and you. <laughs> Oh yeah, <laughs> and you tried, yeah. uh, you tried Lavinia. You tried that one dragon that destroys two lands. Uh, oh, what is his name? I don't remember. But like, you went through so many variations of a fair game of magic, and yeah. then, uh, and then you went through a phase where it was Numot the Devastator. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, if he deals damage, destroy two target. And lands. then there was the phase, uh, uh, the well, the group hug. You know, I want to see your deck, and that's gone through so many iterations. Mm-hmm. It's <laughs> in its worst version right now since uh, yeah. since Golos yeah. got banned. <laughs> right now it's Jota the Unifier, and it's just no, it's not the same. But like the the Gates mana base is the same, but <laughs> it. Uh, no, Joda not so good. It's not so good no more. I feel like Gates is another archetype that is you play so much and <laughs> probably just cuz it's cheap. <laughs> no, that's exactly the, the reason way to pay. why my group hug deck was Gates. It's because at that point I was just out of other lands. Yeah. So I I think that you are uh well you certainly are a prolific de- deck builder, but there's a few things that I think you do maybe less often than others like other than Krinko which was one of your earliest mm-hmm. decks. I don't feel like you do mass tokens very often. I just won last time we played with Sisse and Hidden Winota. What is more combo, I think? Well, that's a combo deck. Yeah, yeah, that's more combo than... It's not like Darien, where he builds up tokens over time, and same thing with Krinko, where you build up tokens over mm-hmm. time. Winota is, I win the turn I get Winota out, and if not, then I win the next turn. Right. Like, I, yeah. I don't consider that a token deck. <laughs> okay, in all the right, same fair way. enough, fair enough. I think maybe... What was, what's the... Gahiji? Did you have a Gahiji deck? I do have deck? a Gahiji deck, yeah. Maybe that one's a little a little tokenish. I have yet to but... make it go off with all the tokens that are in it. <laughs> right. It's always about trying to get my opponents to attack each other. That's the only way I've won with it right now. <laughs> Let's see. So, Travis, you're more defined by what you don't have than what you do have because you do have so many decks and have spent so much time building. And then when you're like, I have too many decks, I need to stop building, you just build them for us instead. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, that was so much fun this year to make birthday decks for y'all. It's truly like the joy I get from Magic is in deck building and in thinking of you guys. Yeah. I I wish I had a fraction of the inspiration you have for building decks. Building decks for me is such a um, laborious and stressful process. I'm like, oh, let me take out the collection, see what I got. Check on EDH Rec, what looks good. Yeah. It's like a whole thing that I got to sit down and cut 200 (laughs) cards over the course of like two or three weeks. Yeah. Deck building is is hard because I hate cutting cards. 
especially the last 10 cards. I actually build tons of decks, probably almost as fast as Travis does, and I like on Architect or Deckbox or something. Except if you go to Architect and look through my collection, you'll see a bunch of decks that are 130 cards. <laughs> Because and and therefore yeah. never get made yeah, because I never cut thirty cards. You know, I never pull the trigger on them. So I don't know. I've just gotten good. I, I admire that yeah, you can I, do I it. Just, yeah. I just kill my babies. You know. Ooh, I would love Ooh. for all thirty of these cards to be in there. What? I'm fifteen spots over. Well, you fifteen good cards. You have to go. Mm. Played your case. So hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You have <laughs> failed me for the last time. See, and for me, when I'm in that situation, the ones that plead the worst case are the lands. <laughs> Just saying, that's how you get 27 land. Uh, oh my god, Randy! Like, yeah, lands are cool and all, and you need them. But I mean, R- Randy, as, as somebody with a 20 <laughs> with a 24 land deck, I'm not going to tell you that's never right. Which of your Probably decks has right 24 lands? Ragavan. Oh yeah, that'll do it. Hey, yeah. it's perfect that you mentioned Ragavan because that brings me to one of the last things that I want to get to tonight. We've talked about each of our individual behaviors, each of our individual strategies. We've talked about receiving and giving healthy criticism. All of these things create an environment where there's strong competition. We all feel like we can try to win every game because we know that winning is not going to hurt somebody's feeling. Winning is not one of those sticky social situations that our group has to contend with. And that brings me to one of the last things I want to talk about. Competition breeds change. We have an ever-changing meta. Each time somebody does something that trips up everybody else, somebody else is going to respond in that way. And I actually included, Benjamin, your Ragavan deck in my list here. Benjamin's Ragavan deck only has... What'd you say? 24 lands? Yeah, 24 lands. Because it's so good at treasure generation. It generates tons and tons of treasure. And so you don't need the mono red mountains. You can use all of your other treasures to cast your opponent's cards that you steal, as well as to push up your own mana count. Well, treasure generation, not only in Benjamin's Ragavan deck, but in Magic in general, like ever since New Capenna, they really ramped up treasure in just about everything. But those deck building choices prompt us to put in treasure hate. You know, we put in cards that either hate on treasure or they make it so we can benefit from them. Derek, do you remember when I played my Clothis deck and used Fangren Marauder? I'll never forget. It's a 5-5 beast for 6, and it says whenever an artifact goes into any player's graveyard, I gain five life. Oh! Yeah. So now, whenever Benjamin cracks three treasures, I can use that card and I'm going to gain 15 life from it. Mm-hmm. You know, have fun, Ragavan, hitting me for two. Or have fun, whatever whatever other pirate he played, trying to chew through the 15 life I just gained. Viridian Revel is a similar effect that lets uh, its owner draw cards whenever a treasure gets cracked. I haven't had the chance to actually play these on you yet, but they are in some of my decks. Eye of Singularity and Leyline of Singularity. Do y'all know what either of these cards do? Have y'all seen them? They make everything legendary, right? Right. They make every non-land permanent legendary. (laughs) So now all of your treasures are legendary and you can only have one at a time. Oof. Isn't that insane? So, you know, my deck building has changed based on 
what other people are doing. God, if you play that when I'm playing Darien and it's like, I can only have one token, <laughs> I screw That's right. You can only have one token at a time. You beat me. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 actually, though, if I'm getting life from these entering and then them dying. Yeah, that's I'm probably good that. for you. <laughs> I'm fine with that. I'll just get a million life and then uh, blow you out of the sky oh, with uh, with the uh, reliquary tower. <laughs> yeah, Aetherflux Reservoir. Yeah. <laughs> so Randy's life gain has prompted changes in my deck building. Leyline of Punishment is a red leyline that just says players can't gain life. Yeah. Players can't gain life. Damage can't be prevented. It's like, no, we're starting at 40 and going to zero. (laughs) (laughs) As Richard Garfield intended. (laughs) Exactly. As Richard, that's fair magic. In my Nath deck, I added, for specifically Randy, I added a card called Stigma Lasher. Mm -hmm. That's insane. Red, red, 2-2 creature with Wither. When it deals damage to a player, that player can't gain life for the rest of the game. Specifically Mm. for Randy. so, So now Stigma Lasher doesn't have to... Stay on the battlefield. Yeah, it's, it just has to hit it's once. It's done its thing, and then Randy's done for the whole game. Mm-hmm. Erebos, God of the Dead, Knight of Dusk's Shadow. These are all cards that say your opponents can't gain life. And Randy, they're in my deck, I'm telling you. Uh, you know, that, that's fair. I played Multani. Yeah, my Multani's kind of theme was as nature intended. Multani is like a big green avatar of nature. Mm-hmm. And so it's like if it dies, it needs to stay dead. Except for Multani. Multani is the only, the only thing that can come back <laughs> yeah, from, from, from a graveyard. So I had like Silent Gravestone, some sort of like some sort of like cage kind of thing. I can't Soul Cage? Graph Digger's Cage? Yes, Graph Digger's Cage. It was just a lot of like, you know, if it's in the graveyard, it can't be targeted, it can't be played, it can't be this, that, and the other. And Multani specifically has a way to get out of the graveyard and back into your hand without being blocked by those abilities. And this was me changing my meta because I was like, I'm tired of y'all using your graveyards as a free deck yeah. or as a free, like, like another hand. Yeah. So I, I put those cards in there because I was like, what is dead must stay dead. That is the, the natural law of the world. I, I put in Silent and, uh, Gravestone, Ground Seal, other graveyard yeah, that hate stuff funny. for Benjamin because he's out of control. Yeah. <laughs> he's a menace. Yeah, exactly. So. And that's why I'm glad they started printing all of that enchantment hate yeah. and black. Oh, enchantment hate and black. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And, I, and I've had to start adding those in my deck to deal with all of the things <laughs> you just mentioned. It seems like every other color is starting to get to do every other thing that they normally weren't good at except for white. Be a better color. I don't know if to tell you. White just got a crater hoof behemoth. What I get, we, we, yes. we get one color pie chart. It know, gives like, them all flying, dude. I know, but why don't we get one thing and they're like, come on, white, you got this. And it's like, yeah, but you got like four of them. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's like, okay, white, white thing was like, you gain life better than anyone else. And green's like, anyone we else? We gain life better than anyone else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, green, and, and, then, and, and, then, and then Witherbloom in Strixhaven came out and they were like, let's give black and green more life gain. Yes. Now I get black and white. I get them having life gain because the whole point is you gain life, you pay life. Right. It's a resource. But then they're just like, nah, we're just going to give it to everyone else and then we'll give them a, a wider crater hoof. And so now when they complain, <laughs> everyone else can say, well, you got a crater hoof. <laughs> Thanks. Derek's recent Thrun deck has prompted some deck building changes already. <laughs> yeah. Because Thrun can't be removed 
except by green spells. So now we gotta or he put can't green be targeted except by green spells, and he's indestructible during his turn. So now we have to rely on either adding more board wipes to our deck, or every time I've played against Theron, I'm always trying to churn through my deck as fast as I can to get to a sacrifice effect. Yep. And it has happened before where, like, I get the sacrifice effect, and then the turn before I can play it, Derek throws on... Assault suit. Assault suit. The armor that says he can't be sacrificed. <laughs> I had, I had already spawned to y'all's away. responses by adding in it's, more indestructible stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a race <laughs> to get to the right form of removal for Thrun before Derek suits him up with something that protects him from it. Yeah. And even a long time ago, when I had my Avacyn deck, every time I play white, white has a lot of great tools for indestructible. And so Derek has told me several times that he has to build removal around my my decks knowing that my creatures will likely have some form of indestructible yeah i got a breaking case of avacyn or, or indestructible or and i just break the glass and i pull out bonds of mortality yep bonds of mortality and shadow spear Ugh, i hated those cards for a long time <laughs> because it was like yeah i'm just gonna pay one i'm just gonna pay one and undo the eight mana angel you can smash your brains on the ground for one <laughs> mana <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's another hallmark of a good meta. Again, we play with the idea that there's no end in sight, that there will always be a next session. And so all of these changes, well, that's fun for us because now it means that there's a next session where maybe I can overcome the change that somebody else made. Maybe I can overcome the move that somebody else did. So let's get to our recurring segment News, news from, from the Warfront. Warfront. I love how you do it every time just to then cut it and replace it. Yep, just to cut it and replace it with my effect. It's just too fun. Okay, we have a post on Reddit from our board games. If you didn't listen to episode 7, it was an awesome board game showcase Go back where we talk about the reasons we play games and then games that facilitate all of those reasons. It was a really fun episode with lots of great games addressed. So this post comes from our board games and the poster asks, how do I be less sour when constantly losing? I'm going to give the TLDR that this person plays board games with their husband and they say it feels like I'm constantly losing. I understand that there are learning curves, people learn at different rates, etc., but my husband comes from a Warhammer tabletop gaming background. So he is used to chunky stuff, is what they call it. And they describe how their husband is just constantly winning all of the board games they play and how they struggle sometimes to learn every new game. They give a, a little background story about how they grew up playing Uno and that they didn't even know what Settlers of Catan was until 2021. So this is a this is a precious baby when it comes to board gaming and they feel bad constantly losing. It says, I know going into a game that I'll probably lose. Sometimes I'll just realize halfway through that I can't bring it back. They even say that sometimes they've asked their husband to dial it back, but they know that's not fun for him and that they themselves feel lame that they asked in the first place. So they're trying to overcome this discouraging feeling of constantly losing against someone who's just a more experienced gamer than they are. So we came up with some ideas about how hopefully we can help. Derek, start us off. Uh, so my, I guess, recommendation 
is that these two people are clearly in two different like experience levels. Mm-hmm. He's got a ton of board game experience, from what it sounds like. Plays Warhammer, which is pretty intensive. Oh yeah. And if the most complicated game at that point was Uno for the person, you're not going to be able to beat them unless you keep practicing and you know playing and learning the rules you know in and out like you have to stick with something you know everyone that's good at something started out being bad at that thing so i think stick with it you can watch tutorials there are tons of people out there who make strategy guides and other you know little thought experiments or whatever that you could explore i totally agree so many board games out there have not only tutorial videos but strategy videos about good engines to create if you're doing one of those economy or worker placed games like agricola or something like that where you have to build up your own system or strategy there are lots of resources for that too so yeah telling your husband to stick with one game so that you can practice it and learn it and get better at it and attempt that growth mindset that we talked about earlier you're not as good as your husband yet that's not the only advice benjamin give us another one yeah i think a a great one is to play cooperative games and and we've mentioned a whole bunch uh in one of our more recent episodes but at the at the early stages of learning games like Catan is a game like pandemic and there's so many variations on that that you can scale what you want to do there's a gift that travis gave me not too long ago there's pandemic rapid response which is a, a very basic form of pandemic. So there's a lot of games like that where you can get better at games generally. You can see the strategy. You can you can walk through things with your husband. You can go through all these things where y'all are working together to achieve a common goal, so you win or lose together. Mm-hmm. As you play those games, you do get better at playing games in general, right? The, the strategies you use to beat the board are similar to strategies you would use to beat other people, right? You've got to move your pl- people to the right places to access the right resources at the, at the right time and play your cards right and all those things. So if you're able to absorb what's happening in a cooperative game, then you will get better at gaming in general, but you won't feel like you're losing or that your husband's going easy on you. Yeah, my advice is to, and this can go along with playing cooperative games, is spend more time in the learning phase of games rather than just going through the rules you know once or reading the rule book or whatever have your husband spend more time going through maybe playing with his hand revealed or having him think aloud while he's making moves that way you can see the gears turning and you can understand the rationale for what he's doing and kind of do think alouds and play alongs and like benjamin said when in our teach your game episode where it's not necessarily about winning in that phase it doesn't matter who wins or who loses in that phase what matters is that you're learning the material and once you've learned the game more you will understand more of of the strategy and of whatever that game requires. Randy, hit us with another one. One of my suggestions was maybe just, you know, like you're you're playing mobile games from what the uh, the, the user was saying. So mm-hmm. since she's from a different kind of background of more like Uno, my thought is play more games that have randomness and variance in the game itself. You know, like Uno, a lot of it is like, well, yeah, you can strategize a lot, but you can't account for your opponent just getting like four draw fours in a row and slamming you with them, you know? Yeah. So you play, can't play games that have more randomness. Draw. Absolutely. Things that, you know, I guess that don't rely so heavily on a strategy. And, you know, and if that's more of what this person enjoys, well, you know, lean, in, lean into that 
and balance back and forth between them of like, okay, this is more your speed, this is more my speed, you know. Mm -hmm. As long as you're both having fun, that's the most important part. So if you're not having fun doing only the really, what they say, chunky? Yeah, they, chunky? Call, they call them chunky games. Yeah, the, the, word that, the word that the pops into games, my head is crunchy, crunchy which is like yeah, rule same. after rule and interaction after inter after interaction. Yeah. yeah, make sure you're playing something that's, you know, more up your, your, your avenue. Yeah, play games with more variance, more randomness, so you're talking so we're kind of talking about or even more people or more people absolutely because every added person is going to change how the game goes. And the last one is to alternate playing games that he knows and games he doesn't. Maybe the two of you need to learn a new game together. That way you have a more even playing field. And again, stick around in that learning phase. Do think-alouds, play-alongs, do that I do, we do, you do that we talked about. I want to say that was episode four or five. Anything else, guys? Uh, did we say, like, I guess kind of like studying, you know, like if you know that your husband's doing one strategy, you know, go to YouTube. Oh, yeah. Learn, learn new strategies of the game that you're playing. You may discover what it is, like what the strategy that he's playing is called. And then like, okay, well, I want to look up how to counter yeah those. find the silver bullet find the rock paper yeah. scissors interaction that exactly. you need to <laughs> to beat him <laughs> yeah exactly you know and um benjamin had mentioned in a previous podcast about a game that the american i guess like i like the 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 American pro tour of the certain board game had like one meta and then like the European had a side had a different meta. So when someone came over and played in the American version, like people weren't used to counteracting this European's playstyle. Ben, right. what was the game called again? Or Travis? Who knows? Uh, that was Victory in the Pacific. And yes. if you go and look at the episode where we talk about that, somebody helpfully put in the comments, they explained the situation in, in great detail. Oh, it was episode okay. three where we talked about who we are, what, and, and yep, all of yep, that. you're totally right. And, it was episode uh, three. Episode and one three. of our listeners in the in the comments went really into detail about it. So thank you, listener. Appreciate you helping us out on that. And so yeah, that basically there were two different play styles in in two different metas, and then one when they crossed over, they were able to to take serious advantage of that in the bidding system in that game because they didn't care as much about getting a certain side, all this stuff. And eventually, the American meta had to adapt to that, and and now both metas are a lot more mixed than they were at the time. But yeah, I think that that's a very helpful thing for applying to this situation where you've discovered a bunch of games that your husband knows really well, but I bet he has a playstyle just like everyone that that we've been talking about today has a playstyle and go f just go find articles about how to counteract that playstyle and surprise him like Randy surprised us <laughs> with Smash Brothers <laughs> buying a, a whole console and a game <laughs> practicing for hours and hours. Yeah, it it will really surprise him when uh the two of you go to play Warhammer 40K and you have your own fully painted armada of ships <laughs> all of which specifically have a strategy meant to defeat his Guys, that won't be suspicious at all. <laughs> no. I'm not saying you have to go that detailed into it, but I'm just saying you're just being able to know, like, oh, well, I know that that this unit has some cool, like, I, I don't know how Warhammer works. I'm just gonna make something up and say, like, this unit combos well with this other unit, right? So I'm gonna pick these for my team today. Yeah, I love that. So just to summarize for our news to the warfront, play games with more variants. That's going to make it less predictable, less reliant on strategy, and you'll give luck a little more pull. Play cooperative games where you win and lose together. Spend more time in the learning phase of games where you listen to each other, think aloud through your plays, and then practice. 
practice, practice, practice. If it is one game that you're playing, you know, over and over, then, you know, watch a tutorial or a strategy video or read an article. That way you can get better at this game. It's clearly important to you. This post really stuck out to me because this is somebody who saw their own experience and I think, you know, wants it to be better for both people. They acknowledged that that their meta has a weakness right now. And I think that's a, a great person for us to reach out to. And I think that means that they're already on a great start. If you're the husband in this situation, understand that your wife is trying to, to create a healthy meta where, sh where she improves. It sounds like you're not spending enough time in the teaching phases of these games. Be more accommodating. You come, you know, meet her halfway on this. Pick some new games that you're not good at. Maybe you'd, you've never t looked at the rules of before. Mm -hmm. Purposely don't look at strategy articles so that she has a chance to do that. You know, things like that to, to, to try to even up the skill level every once in a while and make this a, a meta where she can win 30-40% of the time at least. Yeah, we've mentioned this a couple times, but the more evenly matched you and the members of your meta are, the healthier your meta will be. Alright. Exactly. Any last comments before Benjamin's words of wisdom? No. Take it away. Listeners, you've heard a lot today about the different ways we play, the different rivalries, and, and you know, we've made comments about making it personal and going out to beat each other and, and doing a lot to counteract different styles of play. But what I really hope you took away from today was how much we have gone out of our way to accommodate each other, to care about the others having fun, to create an environment where people have grown significantly, mm -hmm. where where we've developed not just different play styles and, and, and different ways to, to play the game, but we've grown as people. A healthy gaming group, a healthy meta, consists of people who communicate well. It consists of people who are focused on the environment that they create that are accommodating and caring and once again this doesn't just go with gaming it goes with everything you need to consider the people that you are around and if you want a healthy family a healthy work environment a healthy game group you need to do your part in considering the needs of others and make sure that you accommodate their needs now that, that doesn't mean to put yourself third fourth last on the list you need to watch out for yourself too but it does mean that you adjust your priorities so that you can get what you want while getting what they want that fun is not a zero-sum game healthy relationships are not a zero-sum game everyone can achieve a higher level by working together to to create a healthy and fun group the end of another great episode beautiful loved it beautiful work all right guys thank you so much for listening Remember that if you have any specific issues that you want us to address, if you have a specific question, if you're a new listener from GalaxyCon and you just want to say hi, you can send us messages by leaving comments on YouTube or any of the audio versions of this podcast, or you can send us direct messages through email at mymythicalmeta at eldoradogaming.com. Thank you guys so much for listening. And as always, Benjamin, Derek, and Randy, thank you guys for being my great friends. Have a great night. Bye. Later. Later. This episode was sponsored by Eldorado Gaming. Use the promo code META for 10% off your order. Please like, comment, subscribe, and share. This episode was edited by me, Travis Konashek, and our intro and outro music is by Tyler Heath of the Oh Hellos.